There was nothing extraordinary about the young couple making their way carefully and cautiously up the steps of the temple. You could see, if you looked closely, that the woman was carrying a small infant in her arms, securely but not too tightly wrapped, as they made their way up to the temple to dedicate the child. It was an ordinary scene, one that had been witnessed by hundreds if not thousands of people before, because it was the place where young families would come to dedicate their, especially their firstborn, in the service of God and the service of love to the world. Nearby, there's an old man named Simeon who comes to the temple every day. He's seen hundreds, if not thousands of couples like this. It's something he's witnessed quite often. It's a very ordinary thing, but there's something different. There's something about this couple that causes him to, to literally physically lean in, look more carefully. He moves slowly and cautiously over toward the family. He wants to look in and, and see their faces because somehow he knows. Somehow he feels this, this nudge of the spirit, this tug at his soul that this is the one, this is the child, this is the Messiah, the one who will bring light and hope into the world. You see, years before, he'd had a dream or perhaps it was a vision. Maybe he just heard something that sounded like the voice of God in his, in his mind. And he was told, he was promised, Simeon, before your life is over, you will see the arrival of the Messiah. But it had happened so many years before, so many decades in the past, he was wondering, questioning whether it was real or not. Did, did that really happen? Did I really hear that voice? Did I really have that dream? Or was it just a bad piece of fish that made me kind of think in a crazy way? What was it exactly? But now there's this sense, there's this tug in this ordinary moment where he knows, he somehow knows the extraordinary has appeared in the ordinary. And it is the very child, the very child that's been promised to the world bring peace, light, and hope. I don't know about you, but in my life, that's when the extraordinary seems to happen. Oh, sometimes as a pastor, I'll try to construct spiritual experiences for myself, if not, not only for others, but for myself, where I'll feel the sense of the Spirit, or I'll feel some sense of God's presence. And most of the time, it just doesn't happen. Most of the time, when I'm overwhelmed with that sense of God's presence in my life, it's as though God has come in through the side door of my soul. And in some ordinary moment, the extraordinary appears. And there's tears in my eyes. And I can't believe what is happening. I've heard from many of you in my ministry say similar things. That most often when you've experienced God's presence, it's out of nowhere. It's like, like a fresh breeze, and a, a cool breeze in a warm, hot desert. It just comes out of nowhere, refreshing your heart, mind, and soul. I went to seminary in Johnson City, Tennessee, a conservative evangelical school up in the hills of, of East Tennessee. A good school, but a, a different one theologically from where I am right now in, in, in my life. While I was there, I worked at Watauga Avenue Presbyterian Church, a small to mid-sized congregation that I dearly loved serving. My buddies at school, though, gave me a bad time. You see, they thought being in a Presbyterian church was a liberal thing to do. Now, this Presbyterian church was anything but liberal. They were about as middle of the road as you could possibly be. 
But at my school, most of the guys who were there were from churches that believed in what's called believer's baptism. You only baptize by immersion, for one thing, in a large, in a large dunk tank, it looks like, and of children who have an accountable age, 12 years and older. And so going to a Presbyterian church meant that I would be witnessing infant baptisms, and they were really clear with me, kind of in a kidding way, but they were very clear. Those baptisms don't count. You know that, don't you? Are you going to teach them that? I said, of course not. <clears throat> and then a few weeks into, this, in, into my service at church, I witnessed my first ever infant baptism. Like old Simeon, I kind of sat up in my pew and I leaned forward and I watched carefully as this young couple, the mother holding the baby, securely but not too tightly in her arms as they cautiously and carefully made their way up the steps of the chancel and then stood next to my boss, the senior pastor of the church, Ron Bowie. Ron asked them typical kind of questions. Do you promise to love this child? Do you promise to bring this child up in the way of Jesus? They said, yes. And they said, yes, with the help of God, we will. It's a beautiful moment. And then Ron asked for the baby. He took the child and cradled her in his arms. My memory is that her name was Grace. And then he walked down the steps and walked down the center aisle of the church, stopping at each pew to show the people in, those, in that pew this little baby. Can you see Grace? Can you see Grace? It was an amazing thing. He then told them the story that you've heard before of the time the disciples were trying to keep parents from bringing their babies to Jesus to be blessed. They were quoting and citing the bylaws of the Jesus movement, you know. Section 6, paragraph 12 says, Do not bring your babies during this moment in Jesus' ministry. And Jesus says, Skip the bylaws. Bring the babies to me. Ron told that story. And then he returned to the chancel and offered a prayer of blessing. I couldn't believe what I'd witnessed. It was one of the most sacred and holy moments of my life. I realized... I felt the tears running down my cheek that I was weeping. In an ordinary, everyday moment, suddenly out of nowhere, the very Spirit of God seemed to come in the side door of my soul and tug me toward something precious and beautiful. I've heard from many of you similar stories of times when you experience God's presence, even in times of sorrow and grief times of great joy and happiness and everything in between. And most of the time, it's happened when you didn't see it coming. It just came out of nowhere. Maybe you were at the, the, Carols, for concert, uh, the Carols for Christmas concert a, a few weekends ago. It was a beautiful experience. The Cambridge Choir from our 1320 Cambridge location was here to sing, along with the Chancel Choir, the one that sings here every, every Sunday at, at 3777 Dublin Road. It was an amazing concert. The Cambridge Choir sang first, then the Chancel Choir, then there was a combined choir made up of some of their voices of each, each choirs, and then both choirs combined. You should have seen the Chancel. It was full with about 70 voices, and their final anthem for the day was, Come, Thou Long Expected Jesus. It was an arrangement I'd never heard before. And I, I'm not embarrassed to tell you, I got caught up in the spirit again. You see, Julie and I were late. We, we had other things to do that day, and we, wanted, we had to rush to get here in time. We were two minutes before the concert started, but the entire place was packed except for about five empty seats right here in the front row. So we ended up on the front row the moment that final anthem began. 
I could feel. I could feel God's nudging on my soul. I could feel that spirit moving into my, into my heart. And I, I even wondered, kind of to myself, I've been doing this for 40 years. I've been to at least 100 Christmas concerts. What is happening? Why am I getting so emotional? Well, you know what? It, it, it's been a, a rough few years. We've dealt with COVID. We've dealt with massive change in the church. We've dealt with a lot of things. And a lot of that just came rushing in. I don't mind telling you, it just came rushing in. Then to hear, then to hear that anthem. And that fervent prayer. Come thou long expected Jesus. I was overwhelmed. Caught up. It felt like the very Spirit of God was here in this amazing and sacred space. I'd almost say it was a soul-piercing moment. Did you hear Simeon say that? Something like that to Mary? After this beautiful prayer, this announcement of joy, how he can now go into, into the next life secure in the knowledge that he's seen the Messiah, he looks right at the face of Mary and something pulls on him again and he says, your soul will be pierced because of this one. What an unusual thing to say. I I imagine he, he regretted saying it as soon as he said it, but here's the thing. It's true. Look at Mary the mother of Jesus, and how her soul will be pierced. It'll be pierced by the the way her family is divided over the ministry of Jesus. It'll be pierced by the way he's pursued by religious and political leaders who, who fight against him every step of the way. And finally, her soul will be pierced when he's taken guiltless, placed on a cross, and she hears that cry, my God, my God, why? Is there a more soul-piercing thing a parent can experience than a loss of a child? Simeon's words were true. And here's the truth embedded within them. Here on the footstep of a new year, here on the edge of a brand new year that comes with all the hopes and dreams and everything else, there is no promise. There is no promise, not in our faith, not in most faiths in the world. There is no promise that we will avoid pain. There is no promise that we will not have those soul-piercing moments. There is no promise that we'll just get through life hunky and happy and everything is just perfect and wonderful all the way. No, 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 and no. But the promise, the promise that is made is that whether we find ourselves in the highest place in heaven or the deepest, darkest place of hell, no matter where we are in this journey, God promises to be with you, with me. I trust in the promise of the presence of God's Spirit now and forever. Amen.